Uh, you're here for Fundamentals of the Faith, and, which is 13 lessons uh, in our handout book. And uh, in that we have uh, about, I think it's going to take 23 weeks to cover uh, all 13 lessons. So you can kind of plan ahead. I don't anticipate any, any uh, breaks in our schedule. So um, you could kind of put that on your calendar. And the way the, the, way the class works is we, we go through the lessons. Um, and it's, this is an interactive class. Um, I, I don't stand up here and just <clears throat> preach and read and all that as I call on people and, and have them read uh, verses. And then we, we discuss verses. Uh, kind of a Socratic method of teaching, and um, that way we we draw draw out uh, the meaning of the text so that we get a clearer understanding of what God's word is telling us. So, um, so with that, let's uh, let's go through the administration. Everybody has filled out a form there. Uh, what is it called on there? The Fundamentals of the faith. Fundamentals of the faith form. <laughs> yeah. So it's just it's an information sheet on there, and it helps uh, it helps us to uh, kind of look at where everybody is in the in their understanding of uh, of the fundamentals, and um, even in, in some cases uh, salvation. So uh, fill those out, and I'll get it to pick those up at the end or at some point. So, um, let's look at the purpose of FOF. And Ray, can you see from there? Yeah. yeah. Can you uh, read the three, the three bullet points? Yeah. What is the purpose of FOF? To have assurance of eternal life, to become equipped for ministry, to know God more deeply. Yeah, and so why is it important to have assurance of eternal life? better know where you're going. Isn't that right? <laughs> uh, and do you think it's possible for people to have um, uh, assurance that might be misplaced? And I, and I give you an example of that. Um, let's suppose, you know, I mean, when I say a misplaced, I mean, that would be a false assurance, right? Is it possible to have a false assurance? Yes. Right? Certainly is. And let me give you an example of that. Let's say, uh, let's say we're, you're, you're over at my house and you're complaining of just having a really bad headache. And so, uh, and you want an aspirin. I said, oh yeah, sure. Go, go to the medicine cabinet in the bathroom and on the right-hand side there is a bottle and there's a bunch of white pills in there and just take an aspirin. And so you go in there and in, in your migraine pain, you open up the medicine cabinet and you see... A bottle on the right and a bottle on the left, and you forget, and so you grab the bottle on the left instead of the bottle on the right, and you happen to take uh, a, a, a pill for, say, my heart medication or something like that, and you take that, and you have, in your mind, taken that pill with full assurance that you took an aspirin, but you didn't. You took heart medication, and if you don't need that heart medication, it's going to kill you. So, that's an example of somebody having false assurance. And in the same way, um, your assurance must be based on the truth of God's word, right? First John 5, 11 through 13 says that. So 
we're not believers alone. We are believers, a part of a, a community of believers called the body of Christ. We belong to one another. As the big toe serves the foot and the foot serves the leg, so we, call, we are called to serve one another. And do you think a healthy relationship is built on knowing the other person? Is, is, are all healthy relationships based on knowing the person in the relationship? Certainly, right? So there's no higher or more important relationship than your relationship with God. Right? None at all. So, And that's uh, it's Exodus 33.13. You want to look that up at some point. So let's, uh, let's look at the course outline. We'll talk about, so the first, uh, the first lesson is introduction to the Bible. And we talk about what is the Bible, what is its origins, who wrote it, why is it special, and what's the big picture. So we'll cover that. And then uh, when we talk about uh, lesson two, it's how to know the Bible. And it talks about, uh, you know, how do we get a grasp? And there's a, there's a good uh, illustration in the book there about literally using the hand as the illustration and each finger represents a different method of um, learning your Bible. One is to read, to hear, to meditate, to study, uh, and to memorize. And um, so we'll go over that. Uh, incidentally, I think uh, lesson one is, um, that's three, three sessions long. Lesson two is one session long. So, uh, and then lesson three, God, his character, and his attributes. Let's see if I can bring those up. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about, so who is God? This is a big question these days, you know. Uh, you know, in 19... In this country, anyway, in 1963, the Supreme Court made a ruling that said that you could no longer teach Scripture in public schools. And just think about that, but prior to 1963, all students in the public schools um, were exposed to Scriptures. Since then, not in public schools. So what does that tell you? Well, that tells you of the... 380 million people that live in this country, uh, any of them that are over, let me do my math here, six, 60 years or so, right, uh, 60 years old you know, or, or younger, they haven't been exposed to scriptures in public schools, which means if they haven't been exposed anywhere else, they don't know. They don't know anything. And so you ask them who God is, and it's <clears throat> somebody of the... <clears throat> their own creation. That's why we're a lawless society now. It's exactly right. Yeah, there's no foundation. There's no foundation. There's no teaching of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it, 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 it all goes from there. And uh, so, and then, you know, we'll talk about what is, what is my concept of God? Um, what should our concept of God be? And how do I get to know Him? And how does He personally affect me? And then when we talk about We'll talk about his character and his attributes. And, you know, his attributes are those things that we, words that we use that describe who God is. As an example, we'll say that God is, is immutable. What does immutable mean? Unchangeable. He's unchangeable, right? God does not change, which is, for uh, many people, that is a difficult concept. What do you mean God doesn't change? Well, God doesn't change. And 
another difficult subject for people is to discuss his, his uh, sovereignty. You know, what does that mean? You ask people, what, is God, what does it mean that God is sovereign? Well, God is sovereign means that he is in control of everything. There's nothing that is outside of his control. Things that happen either happen by, by his direct cause or by his direct permission. He allows things to happen. As an example, uh, if you look at the book of Job, for instance, now Job, it says that Job was a righteous man. <clears throat> and then it says there's a conversation going on between Satan and God. And God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And then his response is, well, you know, to his righteousness is that, well, he wouldn't be so righteous if you didn't have a hedge of protection around him. And so Satan asked permission to really torment Job. And God gives him that permission. Um, and so when we look at that, you say, well, did you notice who had to ask permission from whom? Satan had to ask permission from God to do what he did. Satan is God's Satan. God owns Satan. God created Satan, not as Satan, but as, as Lucifer, the angel of light, who then rebelled and was essentially thrown out of heaven. And so um, from that time, he's been out there tormenting people. But he does everything, and it's all with God's permission. And it's all for God's glory. And it's all used by God for his purposes. And so when we think about the sovereignty of God, we have to recognize there is nothing that goes on in this world that God is not in control of. And we know we, and we should rely on his promises, right? Romans 8, 28. He uses, or if you use the ESV, he causes all things to work, which I like better because it's more, kind of a more hands-on, but he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So, people don't understand God, and one of the things you'll get out of this class is a good understanding of God, his sovereignty, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and, and how um, he is in control of everything, he is the creator of everything, he sustains everything, and at some point everything will go out of existence and be recreated by him. And so, um, Michael, yes, sir. I was teaching a Sunday school class in Colorado, and I had a couple people that were difficult, and they thought I was soft on sovereignty, and I mentioned the word sovereignty, and they said, well, the sovereignty of God, I said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, I mean, every molecule in the universe is doing exactly what he wants at that moment. They shut right up. That, that's a great quote, because R.C. Sproul said, there is not a rogue molecule in the universe, right. right? There's not one molecule doing something that it wasn't programmed or told or instructed or controlled to Intended do. Right? Yeah, and you think about it. I mean, as a, a, a an, an astrologer, not an astrologer, an astrologer, <laughs> an astrophysicist, um, and you think, I think uh, I recall at some point that uh, some of the physicists calculated the mass of the universe. Do you remember that? And so you calculate the mass of the universe and you can you know, take that mass and, and use Avogadro's number and, and calculate out the total number of molecules in the universe, and it is an enormous number. I, I've forgotten how many, how many zeros it had, but it is, it is actually such a large number you can't comprehend it. But nonetheless, God is controlling 
every one of those molecules. So that's sovereignty. And then we'll talk about Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, uh, who he is, why should I believe he's God, um, why should I believe he's a man, and what kind of authority did he have, and does he have, right? And then we'll talk about, lesson five will be the work of Christ, and um, let's say, what is terribly wrong with myself, and what is terribly wrong with mankind, and why is it that God had to send his son to solve our problem for us, right? So we'll look at uh, Christ's death and his, why he had to die and in what way is he a mediator between me, you, everyone else that's a believer in Christ and a God. And, God, so. and then we'll look at salvation. So how does God grant my salvation? Is it true that God's God sovereignly controls every aspect of our salvation. So we live in the Bible Belt, but a lot of folks in the Bible Belt um, don't have the same understanding of God's sovereignty in salvation. They don't understand sovereign election. And, of course, this is a 500-year-old argument, right, that goes back to um, Calvin and... Arminian, Ar 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 Jacob, 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 yeah, Jacob Arminian, Ar what's his last name, Arminius. Arminius, yeah, so you have Arminianism, right, which is the belief that uh, uh, a person is responsible for his or own choice in, in salvation, and we'll go through that, and we'll, we'll demonstrate that um, that's really not a valid understanding of how salvation occurs. Right. And then we'll look at uh, Lesson 7, which is the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, who is the Holy Spirit? And um, how does he relate to me, and how do I relate to him? What is the main ministry of the Holy Spirit? And there is uh, so much bad theology out there uh, regarding the Holy Spirit. And lots of, I, you know, I, I, I'm using the term here, churches, in a very general way, okay? But there's lots of churches out there who uh, use the name of the Holy Spirit in describing all kinds of strange behaviors that they are exhibiting in these churches, we say little C. Little C. <laughs> little C. <laughs> really? Yes, yes, little, little C. C. Um, and it's, it's just really, uh, it's, it's just really an ignorance of Scripture. It's an ignorance of, of truly whole, who the Holy Spirit is. And uh, it was, if you're familiar with uh, uh, Grace, Grace Church in Southern California, uh, where John MacArthur pastors, they have every year a uh, uh, just a wonderful conference called the Shepherds Conference, where pastors from all over the world can uh, come to Grace and hear just great teaching and and, and be refreshed and study certain subjects. And uh, I want to say about maybe ten years ago, they had a um, a 
conference there, and the title was, I think it was called, was it Surefire? Do you remember? Strange, Strange Fire. It was called Strange Fire. Yeah. Really Strange cool. Fire, yeah. Yeah, and one of the, one of the interesting, one of the things he said was that, um, this is John, John MacArthur said about it, was that, uh, you know, in the Bible it talks about the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, and the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit was specifically attributing to Satan the works of the Holy Spirit. And John MacArthur, during that conference, one of the things he said was that we, this has been slightly shifted. It's been reversed. And rather than attributing to uh, the works of Satan to the Holy Spirit, now it's the reverse and they are attributing works of, to the Holy Spirit that belong to Satan. And that's by their calling out of, of the Holy Spirit doing all these things in which the Holy Spirit doesn't do those things. So, um, again, it comes down to not knowing Scripture and not knowing what Scripture has to say about the Holy Spirit. So, so we'll cover that. Uh, and then we will talk about prayer and the believer. Yeah. And as a, as a question, what is the purpose of prayer? What is the purpose of prayer? It is, right? It's communion it's not, to, not to get things from God. Yeah, and, and the question is, are we actually giving God any information when we're praying no. to him? Right? No, is, is it by you know, Nothing is it, that he never didn't already Right? Know. He knows he knows what we what we're at we're gonna ask before we even ask it, right? And again, this goes to God's omniscience, right? He knows everything from the beginning to the end. So all of the things that have happened. He knows and he sees, and all the things that are going to happen, he knows and he sees. And the, the best description is, is that he sees everything in front of him as a, as a timeline. The things that haven't happened are just as real as the things that already have happened. So he is outside of our time and space because he created everything. And so he looks in on it and sees, sees everything, the beginning and the end as if it's all at the same time. There is no you know, time with God. And so when we talk about prayer, we're not giving him any information. Right? But what does prayer do? What does it do for the individual? Let's just relate to him. Relate to him, right? And what, but what else? And when you, I mean, if you're going to go and ask somebody <clears throat> something, what are you conferring or, or inferring by that action? Dependence, yes, absolutely. And so when we're praying to God, there's a few things that take place. Number one, we're humbling ourselves before God, recognizing that God and God alone is the one who can help us in our, in our need, right? Uh, and what else does prayer do? We're praying, we're communing with God, we're laying before him our petitions. What else does it do for us? It can certainly grant takes you. Away anxiety. Takes away. I was going to say it can give you peace, right? Uh, Philippians four six, right? Four six through nine, is that we can go to him in prayer, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Right. So there's a lot of reasons for prayer, and but unfortunately, it's one of those things that are is neglected by Christians a lot, and and abused, and abused, yeah, also. 
And we'll talk about this. You know, is it okay to pray for a, for a new car? It depends. But I want to give away the answer, so. Um, yeah, we, well, I forgot about the quizzes, but anyway. Um, so, we'll talk about that. Uh, it's, and the question is, when I pray, am I experiencing intimacy with God or just an exchange of information? Here's another thing. How is prayer a form of worship? Isn't, it, isn't prayer a form of worship? Yeah. Right? We're worshiping God in prayer. We can worship God in singing, in, in our, our uh, church service, in prayer. Uh, we, can, we, we do, and we worship God in our giving. Right? So, we'll cover that. So, number nine, uh, the church, fellowship and worship. And, you know, as a, a question, what is the, how is the church to be structured? What is the responsibility of the church to individuals? Edify. Mm-hmm. To edify, to teach, to raise up. It's actually for the perfection of the saints, right? Um, what is our responsibility to the church? We have a responsibility to the church. And what is it? One, well, we'll get to it in a minute. It's coming up. But everyone who is, who is saved has been given spiritual gifts. And what was the purpose of, of those spiritual gifts? Why were we given those spiritual gifts? Glorify God. To glorify God, to use them in the church for the edification of the saints. Right? And so, as people who are saved, if we are not serving and utilizing our spiritual gifts in the church, then we are literally robbing our fellow saints of that uh, benefit. And then, you know, when we talk about how is a church to be structured, this is a big deal in lots of the Southern Baptist conventions, right? How do they, how is their church structured? They have something called congregational rule, right? And so uh, anything that, you know, comes up, they, they have to take this congregational rule. Sometimes it has to do with selecting a pastor. It could be, you know, big projects or things like that. But is that a biblical model? No. No, it's not a biblical model. An elder-led church is the biblical model. Yeah, and so we'll cover that. And uh, it's not only it's not only elder led, but it's a plurality of elders, you know. And and there are specific qualifications that are given for elders. And so it's it's interesting in this, you know, our time in in in, in the ages, you know, this idea of democracy that was established here in this in you know in this country. It was actually it's a it's a republican form of government, but you have democracy at a lower level, and that has pervaded into the church. And so you have lots of churches that think it should be run as a democracy. But I ask you a question. Think about this for a minute. You have a church, and let's say you have, oh, let's say a thousand members in the church. How many, now let me think, let me rephrase that. Do you think everyone in that church is saved? We would be very naive to think that, right? And so if you are using... So if they're not saved, that means they're not of God. Then who are they of? Satan. They are of their father, Satan, right? 
And so if you are having a congregation vote on things of the church, and by the way, who does the church belong to? Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. He is, he is the, the, the head of the church. The church is his bride, right? So if you are voting on the things of the church, would you want Satan's members to be voting on the things of the church? No. No, you wouldn't, right? And this is how churches get into big problems. Um, because they don't follow the biblical model of elder-led. And so here it is. You have, a, you have a church that is run by a plurality of elders who meet the biblical qualifications of being an elder, which means they understand Scripture. Uh, they can teach God's Word. Um, they are able to discern because they have the Holy Spirit within them. And when it comes time to make decisions for the church, the plurality of elders get together, they'll discuss, they'll do all kinds of things, and in the end, they will vote and they will have a decision. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a unanimous decision within them, but they will recognize that God is working through each person, and if the decision has been made by a majority of those elders, then that decision is what God wants. And when they leave that room, all the elders agree. That is the decision. And that's called unity in the church. And so if you don't understand how the church is to be structured, then you will have some difficulty in, in understanding sometimes how a church navigates the world and what goes on. Yes, Rick? Sometimes Southern Baptists, for example, but others too, say that their pastor is the elder. Right. Which you don't have a plurality of elders. That's right. But there's also, I, I, I wrote with two buddies of mine who were Presbyterian down to the Ligonier Conference one year, and uh, they were talking about their elders, and, and I asked about it. And it turns out the pastor, the teaching elder, is the senior elder. Right. So what he says goes. So although they have five or six elders, it's not a plurality of elders. That's the important thing. Yeah. They're all equal in authority in the church. Right, right. And, uh, it's hugely a lot important. of churches don't have that. Yeah, yeah, they don't is, understand it. Yes, Andrea. Is the pastor also an elder? Yeah, he's okay. an elder. He's, a, he's an elder. It so isn't required, but that's what you yeah. So you have, you have elders... And then some of the elders have different functions. Now, all elders are supposed to be able to teach. But you have certain elders who have the giftedness. I will say giftedness because people sometimes look at the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and think, oh, well, you only have one gift. But you can have a giftedness, which is a package, literally, of different gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the pastor-teacher elder is gifted in that way. And so um, it doesn't give him more authority per se over decisions within the church body, but that, that particular elder is, is also a teaching elder, a pastor. And so primary, uh, the primary function then would be the sermons and the other teaching of classes and things like that. Um, but... In a, in a 
properly run elder, and I'll use the term board, or you can call it committee or whatever you want, but the elder board is um, they, no single elder has more votes than the other. So, um, now, the teaching pastor may have a stronger voice or stronger opinion within the body. That's just natural. But nonetheless, each, each member on the elder board has one vote, and they'll vote. So. And pretty much they can all fill in for the pastor at any time as part of their... Right. Well, should should be able to, and and I'll tell you, it's like, pastor calls up on a Sunday, I mean on a, on a Friday and says, I'm really sick, I'm not going to make it, can you fill in? Well, I'll tell you, not everybody on that elder board is going to be able to put together a, 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 a one-hour sermon in, you know, in a day. <laughs> some some might, others might not, but. Um, can I ask some other questions? Yes. Mm -hmm, sure. Did you want to keep moving? No, go ahead. Um. In observing the service, uh, I've been here for uh, two communion Sundays, um, and I've seen gentlemen go up and, and pray and, and mm -hmm. do the announcements, okay? Um, are all of those men uh, elders, or? No, no, not all of them. So... Ron Odell, I think he made, he, he did the announcements, and I don't know if he does them every service, because no, we only go in one service, so, but Ron is, I think we have six, I think there's about six, six elders here right now, okay. but others, sometimes a deacon will go up, and, a, and a, the qualifications are for a deacon are the same as they are for the elder, with one exception, they are not required to teach, okay, they can teach, but it's not a requirement for a deacon to, to be able to teach. Oh, Every got the week it's in, in there, the, the, the elders, elders and the deacons are listed. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, and this then, is last week's question. Is that all of the... Uh, yes. I'm not trying to do oh, anything yeah. except to get to know yeah. folks here. Yeah. And so the, uh, all of your elders and deacons are listed on this bulletin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so just for your info, I'll tell you this is that Jim Johnson is going to be an elder at the church plant, which is coming up in six months, six, six months or so, yeah. So he'll be an elder there. But you are also an elder in, from your previous church, right? Yeah, very similar to this church. Um, about the same size, same kind of setup. Um, Matthew guys, really high up. Actually, grow from within. One of the last pastor, right before he left, he had a different one, but he had been a commercial banker and he was sent to Master yeah. Seminary and you know, he was one of the elders. Yeah. But um, I guess you could say going around the table is a vote mm -hmm. the way we worked. Mm -hmm. And I guess technically it sort of is, but we've never moved forward if anybody was questioning whether we should or not. It wasn't like, okay, we got. We got six guys, and one is saying no. So it's majority. Let's move on. Mm. If we didn't all agree, we didn't mm. move. now once in a while somebody would say, you know what, I'm not there, but I'm going to defer because you guys know more about this. Right. But it wasn't like a, a majority or 75 percent. It was we all agree when we walk out the door. And if you're questioning, we'll wait. We'll pray. Okay. We'll wait. If it takes six months to come to this decision, mm. program, mm -hmm. building thing, whatever it is, 
Well, Deacon took care of us of building stuff, but you know, those kinds of decisions. Yeah. Um, we'd wait. Yeah. Good. Uh, okay, where am I at here? Lesson 10. What is lesson 10 in the book? Do you have that there? Spiritual gifts. Is it, it says spiritual gifts here, but... Oh. Yeah, it's spiritual gifts. Okay. Very good. Then. We'll go with that first. Uh, so, spiritual gifts. So we talked a little bit about them, but what, what are the spiritual gifts? What are they? There's specific gifts. How about this? Are all the gifts that were given by the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the church age, are they all still available today? No. Which ones are not? Prophecy and healing. Healing. Miraculous, yeah, more of the prophetic gifts. So you, you have, uh, there, there's uh, language gifts, right? The tongues, we don't, and we don't have the tongues. Healing, there's no gifts of healing other than internally. I mean, God heals people all the time. But can I go over to Ray and say, Ray has a bad gift and say, you're healed. Does anybody have that gift? Those are sign gifts. Sign, the sign gifts, right? And when he talks about the sign gifts, what was the purpose of the sign gift? To demonstrate Christianity to a lost world. That's right. Is to demonstrate to demonstrate the authority of the people who had them. So let's just say Ray and I are standing here, and we're both talking, and I'm giving you one type of religion, and Ray is giving you another type of religion, and then right before us, you know, some horse is out of control and knocks somebody over, and literally they drop dead. And then Ray goes over and says, don't worry, and puts his hands on him and lifts him up. Now, after that, who are you going to believe? What I'm saying or what's Ray saying? Right? Well, it, the sign gifts are to authenticate that the apostles were from God. And so that was prior to the writing of the New Testament. And so once the New Testament was written, there was no need to authenticate the writers any longer. And so that's why those gifts slowly faded, right? Ceased. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's evidence e even during the time of the apostles, some of those gifts were already waning. Uh, the gift of healing. You know, as Paul couldn't heal himself, uh, one of his... Uh, Timothy? Well, Timothy had, had a stomach ailment, right? And so Paul told him, well, drink a little, a little wine for your stomach. And then one of his, uh, one of his other um, companions was sick almost unto death. But it, there was no miraculous healing. You know, God healed him over the illness. And so we already can see that they're not using those gifts anymore. So. But we'll talk about this. And I, I guess the other question is, does everybody have a gift at the time of salvation? Well, the Holy Spirit gives gifts. The question is, what is your gift? And how do you determine what that gift is? So, so we'll talk about it, because you can. Does it change throughout your life? That's another question. Or do you get more gifts? That's another thing. People will say, ah, I want more gifts. Right? So, anyway. Just take a survey, and it tells you what Right. Okay. How many have gone to a new church, and they have the survey gifts, right? You just fill it out and say, what are you good at? That somehow is, is indicative of what your gifts are. But it's not. This is something that you are given that you didn't previously 
possess. I shouldn't say that, but what I should say is that sometimes, yeah, you could be, like say they have the gift that helps. Right? So you may be a person who likes to just lend a hand. Well, the, when the Holy Spirit gives gifts to people, and if, if they already are a good helper, then they're going to become a great helper. That, that's, a, that's a kind of an illustration of how that works. Or how about this? A person becomes saved, and then all of a sudden they just have this strong desire to go to seminary to preach the Word. Well, that was a kind of an implanted gift. That was a desire, and then they, they learn, and then they're able to teach. And how about before that? They just were afraid to get up in front of people. Right? I knew a pastor. Church, and uh, one of the elders would meet with him, and he had horrible like, agoraphobia. Uh, and he'd even go to the house and never even meet in the house because they didn't like us being out And slowly but surely, he gained his trust, studied, and when he was saved, off masters, I mean, just, yeah. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, that's a, a great evidence of how the Holy Spirit worked in it. So, uh, lesson 11, evangelism and the believer. What are the essentials of evangelism? How can I use my life, testimony, and the Word of God to effectively share Christ with others? How many have, how many have trepidation about sharing the gospel? Right? Right. I've, I've many times told my classes, you've, you've tried witnessing and it didn't work. No, so I don't, I don't have the gift. That's not a gift. It's coming. <laughs> okay. But the point is, your job is to proclaim Christ. Right. The Holy Spirit's job is to redeem people. Your job is not to redeem people. Right. Yeah. And you don't know your dear sweet uncle that you witnessed to for 30 years, and then he passed on and you failed. Did you fail to bring glory to God? When he stands at the great white throne judgment... God will be glorified. That's right. Because the book will be open, you know, the single book of life, and he's not in there. But probably God knows that you told him about the gospel. That's right. Now, if that's not enough for you, you got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if you glorify God, that should be enough. And it, what you said there is that it's not our responsibility to save someone. It's our responsibility to proclaim. We proclaim the gospel. Right? That's it. The Holy Spirit then will use that and will regenerate the heart. Right? And Romans 1.16. Right? I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And there's technical evangelism where you know a whole bunch of stuff. But if you just tell how I was saved, your personal account. You know, now, it would be good to grow beyond that through a course like this. You yeah. know? But you can start the day you were saved, just say what That's right. happened to you. Right. As I've heard John MacArthur say, if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to share the gospel. Right. Right. Just tell about what happened. Right. So Anyway, we'll go through that. And by the way, uh, those of you who are interested, there is a uh, evangelism ministry here at uh, Grace Church. And on June 17th, they're going to go to Gatlinburg and hand out uh, hand up Bible tracts and, and share the gospel. And it's just a great opportunity and fun to do, and I would recommend it. Um, so the other thing about this class is that 
You can take you can take your uh, FOF book, and you can literally share the gospel from what we learn in here. So it's another great reason to uh, to take FOF. You don't have to go to the evangelism class. Go to FOF class, right? All right. So then we'll talk about obedience. What is what is what is evidence of salvation? It's obedience, right? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? And so we keep his commandments because we love him. Um, and wait, let me go back one, sorry. Uh-huh, one more. Go back to obedience for a second. Right. And so what what am I to be obedient to? What are the results of obedient? What are the results of disobedient? What happens to a, a believer when they are disobedient? When we, when we sin against God's commands, what happens, what happens to us? We lose spiritual authority and power. Yeah, you can have a lot of, a lot of things happen. You can have a manifestation of guilt and guilt can manifest itself within the body physically. People can get sick. They can get ill. They can have all kinds of, of medical conditions because of guilt caused by the sin uh, in their life. And so, um, you know, it's, it's important to be obedient to God. because, And it's not to say that you won't have calamity in your life. You know, God uses everything for your good, but you don't need to add calamity because there's certain things called consequences, and the consequences are the result of us breaking God's commands. Or, and not only that, you, we, we break fellowship with him, right? And it, it impedes our prayer life. Right? And so how do, we, how do we rectify that? How do we fix that? Stay in the Word and stay in prayer. Stay in First John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And then if you look at James, when it says that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Well, who is a righteous person? First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So therefore, if you are no longer unrighteous, what does that make you? You're righteous. Therefore, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Confess your sins and then pray. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. And then lastly is going to be lesson 13, God's will and guidance. So, you know, what am I responsible for in terms of God's will? What am I responsible for? Well, we have... God has a couple types of different will, as we describe it. One is his commanded will. Where do we find his commanded will? It's in Scripture, right? That we know. And then there's God's um, uh, there's God's will of, what's the word? Mm-hmm. What's the word? It's just like, <laughs> huh? God's, God's will. Yeah, so it's his, a will of desire, his will of desire, where he desires that mankind would do something, but they don't. Uh, and then there's, so there's God's, there's God's commanded will, his will of, of desire, and his, um, 
draw out a blank. Out a blank. Anyway, so we have his sovereign will, right? So in his sovereign will, we can say this is that anything happens, anything that happens is within God's sovereign will because if he didn't will it to happen, it would not have happened. So his, uh, his commanded will, his will of desire, and his sovereign will. I think there's something else I forgot. But we'll cover that when we get there. And then a lot of times people want to know, well, here's a, here's a question. People go, you know, wring their hands over these kinds of things all the time. But it's like, well, what college should I go to? Who should I marry? What job should I take? Should I take a job? Or should I leave this job and go to another job? Right? All these questions they have is that I just want to do what God's will is for me. Right? Well, we talk about God's sovereign will, right? Anything that comes to pass is his will. So that, that should help some people. But the other thing about that when we get there is that I'm not going to get it. Okay, we'll get there. <laughs> and you'll be surprised. So, um, so that, that is the outline of the, uh, of the class. So how to prepare for the class. Um, you can listen to the background sermons. And where are they? They're at, uh, is that not on here? Well, it's, it's in the book, one thing, but it's also. You can go, if you have downloaded the Grace to You app, mm-hmm. go under sermons and by topic. And just scroll down until you find That's one way. The other way is to go to gty.org forward slash FOF and you'll find it. Yeah. yeah. I've already got that down. You got that down. Yeah. So, you, yeah, listen. That's, so that's what prepares. Listen ahead of time to John's message on this. And then in the book, you read the indicated scripture verses uh, for each question, uh, lesson, point. And then um, you can write down any questions you might have so that we can discuss them during the class. You just fill in the blanks as it, as it asks in the book and um, helps, you, helps you kind of get the understanding of the particular scriptures you're reading and then make the notes. Uh, in, so best thing would be also to get a, a little binder, you know, one inch, inch and a half binder because what happens is every, at the end of every lesson, uh, I'll collect your uh, pages, your homework, I'll grade them and I'll give them back to you and you want to keep them in a binder and then you can revert to them. I refer to mine, you know, quite a bit after, after we took the class. And so you just keep that and uh, it'll be, if there's anything incorrect, you know, I'll correct it so that you'll, you'll have a, a, a good, a good uh, reference of information there. Is, is there a page or paper with this list of how to prepare? I mean, there's a little bit here, prepare for your assignment. But... I don't think so. Those are these are ex, this is bonus here. Bonus material. Bonus, yeah. So, okay. yeah, but I mean, this is a typical. If you go to any class, and you know, they would always tell you the same. Read the information before the class, and then if there's work to do, do the work so that you can ask questions of things you don't understand. Okay. So, and then, uh, like I said, so I'll collect the papers at the beginning of the next FOF lesson. So let's say we're going to do lesson one this over the next three weeks. If you finish it early, I'll collect it. That's great. It makes it easier on me doing grading and whatnot. But then if you, uh, if you don't finish it prior to the end of the lesson, then you know, hand it in at the end of the lesson when we start the next lesson. And then that way, um, that way we'll stay on track. And there it is. You can find it here, gty.org forward slash FOF. Okay. 
So, with that said, um, I hand out usually a quiz before the next lesson, but I don't know if I remembered to print them, and we are actually out of time. So what I'll do is I will, I will hand out the quiz at the beginning of next week, and then we'll, uh, we'll go over the, the questions at that time. All right, so let me, let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for the time uh, this morning. Um, we are just so thankful you've given us your word, and uh, through your word we can know you, we can, uh, we can know, Lord, what your commandments are for us, and, and how we as Christians uh, should obey, and, and how we should relate with uh, believers and unbelievers as well, Lord. And It's all contained in your, in your scripture, and so as we study and learn over the next uh, 23 weeks, Lord, we just pray that you would bless us through the knowledge uh, of uh, your scriptures and that you would change us uh, within so that we would more reflect Christ in us. And I just pray for those who are here, Lord, that you would just uh, bless them and protect them. And uh, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.